0: welcome to the millennials podcast i am of course your host bear and chris will be back either next week or the week after um he is gone today he's off dealing with some personal issues and yeah so it's just going to be me for now i hope that is okay because i still want to be here to um talk to you guys (sighs) excuse me i tried to move away from the mic but um yeah so now before we get started, let me just apologize for, um, this might be a low energy episode just cause I'm not feeling all that great. I uh, just, um, I had some blood drawn today and it, it really drained me more than I thought it would, but yeah. So this is going to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more of a serious episode. Than we normally do together, just because I feel that uh, there's some important stuff going on right now that needs to be addressed. And I I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't be doing my part in informing people if I didn't inform people. (laughs) So we are going to start it off a little bit lighter, but it is going to end on a fairly serious note, just because I don't think I can bring it back after talking about what we need to talk about. Yeah, so, I'm not sure whether to believe this or not, I am, as many of you know, I am a a, a huge skeptic when it comes to things like cryptids and supernatural things, and the Indian army has claimed to have found footprints of a yeti up in the, uh, at the base of the Makalu camp, or, no, at the Makalu base camp in the Himalayas, um. Yeah, they posted a picture on Twitter of what appears to be a a big footprint, uh, and I I don't mean like a a big footprint. Uh, I mean a big footprint. Um, but they're they're claiming it's a it's a yeti. So yeah, so they tweeted to it's nearly uh, six million followers on Monday, according to BBC, uh, that it had discovered a mysterious f- uh, f- set of footprints of a mythical beast known as the yeti at the Makalu base camp in the Himalayas. The Yeti, a giant ape-like creature, often figures in South Asian folklore. Uh, We all know the the Yeti, it's also known as the Abominable Snowman. Uh, There is no evidence proving Yeti exists, but the myth retains a strong appeal in the region. And the army has now added to the legend by sharing pictures of footprints in the snow on an official Twitter post, reading, For the first time and Hashtag Indian Army Mountaineering Expedition Team has cited mysterious footprints of the mythical beast, Yeti, measuring 32 by 15 inches close to Makalu Base Camp on April 9, 2019. This elusive snowman has only been sighted at Makalu Barun National Park in the past. Although the footprints were discovered on April 9, the army made the discovery public only after deciding that it matched earlier theories about the Yeti, according to a report in the Times of India. Reacting to the disbelief on social media, the army said that evidence about the Yeti had been photographed and handed over to subject matter experts, whoever that is. So we thought it prudent to go public to excite scientific temper and rekindle the interest. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know whether or not to believe this, but it is the Indian army. Uh, yeah. The, the Yeti, also known as the Abominable Snowman, is a legendary creature that is said to inhabit the upper reaches of the Himalayas. Stories of people seeing the Yeti or its footprints are common in parts of India, Nepal, and Bhutan. In 2013, research by a British scientist concluded that the legendary Himalayan Yeti may in fact be a subspecies of brown bear. <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, as far as I know, isn't the Yeti supposed to have white fur? And brown bears, uh, true to their name, have brown fur. Then again, I've never seen a Yeti, so I, I don't even know if that's true. That's just uh, my knowledge is based off of uh, Monsters, Inc. <laughs> Twitter users reacted with disbelief that the Indian Army would make such a bold claim about the footprints of a mythical beast. Uh, one user, at Sailor, said, This must be vetted thoroughly before the decision to declare something as ridiculous as this is made, which I agree with entirely. Uh, at the herit said, seriously disappointing to see army propagating such foolish myths into reality expected better from you guys. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I am agreeing with these posts at N K T P N D or, uh, Ankit Panda either I'm missing the joke or the Indian army is claiming that it's found what it believes to be evidence of a literal Yeti with the, uh, face slap emoji or, uh, the face palm emoji. The claim also inspired humor in good measure at Kanis Samoda and I spotted Bigfoot's footprints in Singapore last Sunday. What a coincidence with a picture of his foot between two uh, large footprints. Uh, It looks like it's just uh, like like an art installation or something. Uh, There has been numerous attempts in recent years to solve the mystery of the Yeti in 2011 DNA tests on a Yeti finger taken from Nepal to London half a century ago found out to be a human bone. And in 2013, DNA tests on hair samples carried out by Oxford University Genetics professor Brian Sykes found that they matched those from an ancient polar bear. He said that the most likely explanation for the myth is that the animal is a hybrid of polar bears and brown bears. So, yeah, there you have it. The Indian Army is claiming to have found a Yeti footprint. And I think that they're losing their fucking minds. Um, But yeah, you've... You tell me what you think uh you think this is a i don't know, I don't know if it's a hoax, would this be considered a hoax? It's pretty dumb to, if it's a hoax, or is it true i I guess if they're passing off a street, it might be a hoax. I don't know, I don't believe it, I don't buy it um, tell me what you think do you even believe in in yetis and uh cryptids like that yetis big feets or bigfoots they're not big feet um yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm a huge skeptic like I said, and I'm not really I just thought it was worth reporting um because it's the fucking Indian army claiming that it found this, but I don't actually believe that they found anything. Uh moving on. As most of you probably know, there is currently a lifetime ban on felons serving as jurors, but a new bill recently passed in the New York State Senate to allow ex-felons who have completed their full sentencing, parole, or supervision periods to serve juries. Um, During the debate on the bill, Senator Jamal Bailey said, when people go through that system, they should be allowed to re-enter society. We talk about being a society of second chances, but I guess second chances depend on certain zip codes to some folks. I don't know. Second chances matter. If you talk to a layperson, people are calling up the county clerk's office to try and get out of jury duty. He added something uh, I personally have been guilty of myself in the past, as I'm sure some of you listening out there have been as well. Uh, Face it, we all know jury duty sucks, especially when your work doesn't pay Uh, time off for jury duty. Yeah, I don't recommend doing it, but it is our civil duty, so. Anyway, back to to the report. However, Senator Republican Minority Leader John Flanagan blasted the bill, calling it an addition to the Democrats' criminal bill of rights. He went on to say, how could Democrats believe that Judith Clark, a terrorist who killed two police officers and a security guard, would be an impartial juror? Where is the common sense and the respect for those who lost their lives and the families who still grieve? The bill passed 36-25, to 25 with Democrats voting in favor for the most part, but four Democratic senators dissented. I voted no because I have concerns over certain serious violent felonies, such as the murder or rape, one of the Democrat senators said. I don't think there is a place for these people to be serving on juries, but I think across the board there could be opportunities that we could explore. Um, Like I said, the bill already passed, so we'll have to see when this takes effect. But I personally find myself agreeing with that last statement by the Democrat senator who voted against it. I Ex-felons who have served their time and have been fully reintegrated into society should be allowed to serve on juries, in my opinion. But maybe it should also depend on the details of the crime they committed. I don't like the idea of an ex-felon convicted of a violent crime being a juror if I was on trial. But at the same time, I don't know the backgrounds of any of the other jurors either. And they could be just as bad pieces of shit as this ex-felon. They just hadn't been caught or I don't know. You guys get what I'm saying? But I do believe in second chances. And I do believe in um, ex-felons who were convicted of of non-violent crimes like um, possession or things like that. I don't think I would have a problem with them being on jury in, in my trial if I was on trial. But yeah, we'll just have to see how this plays out. I'd also like to hear from you, though. How do you feel about the exfil and serving on juries? Do you think this will become a national trend or is it just staying in New York for now or indefinitely? I would uh, like the idea to be further explored and the kinks to be worked out. But I, I can definitely see this becoming a national trend. Especially here, just like this one senator said, that um, uh, across the board, there could be opportunities that we could explore. Um, you know, just kind of iron out those kinks, see where it goes. But yeah, I, I can definitely see this happening. Okay. Um, we got mushrooms in, uh, in Denver. Magic mushrooms um, are, are now civilized in, in uh, not civilized. I'm so sorry, you guys. Uh, magic Mushrooms are now uh, have been decriminalized in Denver. The citizens of Denver just voted to decriminalize psilocybin, the psychedelic substance in mu- Magic Mushrooms, earlier this month. Out of 176,000 voters, 50.6% 50, 50. voted in favor of decriminalization and 49.4% voted against, which is a split decision if I've ever seen one. The voters endorsed a change in Denver law that will require police to make arresting people for personal possession or use of psilocybin mushrooms the lowest law enforcement priority in the city and the county of Denver. The final vote total still must be certified by Denver election officials, um, but more than likely. I mean, it, the numbers are what they are. We're sending a clear signal to the rest of the country that America is ready to talk about psilocybin," said Kevin Matthews, the leader of the decriminalized Denver movement. We have work to do. We're ready for it, and we couldn't be happier. Although recreational marijuana is now legal in Colorado, the mushroom referendum affected only Denver. Hallucinogenic mushrooms remain illegal in Denver and the rest. Or uh, the sale of uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms remain illegal in Denver and the rest of Colorado, and selling them will still be a felony. They also remain a Schedule I controlled substance under federal law, just like marijuana um up there with uh heroin and cocaine even though there's quite a bit of studies done to show that they are not nearly as or dangerous at all. Matthew said that they would not have been available in the cities uh that they would not have been available in the cities cannabis dispensaries and should still be used carefully. Of course, it is a, ha- a hallucinogenic drug. Um it it has been I mean, according to some studies, there still needs to be a ton more studies done. But according to some studies, uh, they, they, scientists have learned that uh, psilocybin can be used to make great advances in medication for depression and anxiety. So the fact that um, it is the possession of them is decriminalized in Denver could actually help make uh, strides in that area on experimentation with psilocybin's. Um, but yeah, in other words, the referendum only decriminalized the possession and use of psilocybin, but it is still a crime to sell and buy the stuff. Denver law enforcement is not thrilled about the change, however. Denver District Attorney Beth McCann said, We're still figuring out marijuana, even and even though things are going well so far, we're still measuring the impacts on the people of Denver. She said that she feared that if the measure passed, Denver would attract more drug users and mushroom-influenced drivers would create havoc. Which, in my opinion, is a fair concern. Um, we have laws against drinking and driving, and people still do it. So, uh, it, it, is a, it is a fair concern to have uh, people tripping on mushrooms and going out and driving. It's, I gotta give her that one. On the other side, though, a number of studies have shown that psilocybin 7 can have positive lasting effects on depression, chronic pain, post-traumatic stress disorder, addictions, and anxiety. The Federal Food and Drug Administration has granted breakthrough therapy sessions, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, breakthrough therapy status to study 7 for treating depression. The FDA describes breakthrough therapy as designed to expedite development of a drug after preliminary evidence shows the drug may demonstrate substantial improvement over available therapy. So yeah, that's what I was saying, that um, this will open the door and create opportunity for the drug to be studied more. Uh, as it is now decriminalized to have it in uh in denver i personally think that it's great that denver's taking the initiative of decriminalizing mushrooms obviously if you commit a crime you should be punished for that crime and being under the influence of mushrooms is is no excuse um i feel like i would be a hypocrite if i was against the decriminalization of them because uh i have done mushrooms in the past um same with weed like i've smoked weed in the past i was young once <laughs> my experience with mushrooms um i i used to be in a very dark place i'm talking i've talked about it here on the podcast before but i used to be in a very very dark place mentally and um one time my friend came over she asked me if i wanted to try some mushrooms and i never had before and um i i was like fuck it let's do it why not uh, i hadn't felt such bliss in in a long time it was just I mean, yeah, I, I hallucinated a little bit, but it wasn't like that wasn't the focus. Like the hallucination only lasted for a few minutes, but the the feeling of calmness is what I remember the most. I was just so happy, and I was just so calm, something that I hadn't felt in a long time at that point. And um, I can definitely see how um, medications made with psilocybin can help people with. Chronic depression and anxiety and uh what else did it say post-traumatic stress disorder chronic pain addictions I can definitely see it and I I stand by it I mean this is great in my opinion that Denver has decriminalized them and opened the door for for studying the stuff but like I said we always have those idiots um we have laws against drinking and driving, and people still do it. Uh, obviously, if you commit a crime, you should be punished for the crime. Driving under the influence is still illegal. People don't drink and drive. Don't smoke weed and drive. And definitely do not trip on shrooms and drive. Please. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what's going on right now in in uh in Denver. Um, have a couple more stories for you guys, but okay. Before we get too too serious um i would just like to uh, pay homage to um a beloved internet celebrity who uh, passed away this week um they were um they touched a lot of people's hearts and they will always live in uh in our hearts thanks to the internet thanks to reddit thanks to memes That's right, I am talking about Tartar Sauce, better known as the Grumpy Cat. Uh, Tartar Sauce sauce unfortunately passed away at the age of 7 due to complications for a urinary tract infection uh, earlier this week, leaving a hole in the heart of everyone who was touched by her. From her humble beginnings on Reddit in 2012, to her marketing deals with Honey Nut Cheerios and Friskies, to her own TV movie where she was voiced by the beautiful Aubrey Plaza... She certainly left a mark on the internet and the world, and what better mark than tons of merch and memes inspired by her grumpy little face. Her owner, however, Tabitha Bunsen, is obviously heartbroken by the loss of tartar sauce, but that's not all she'll have to deal with. The grumpy cat was also an an instant source of income, and now represents a major financial loss. Pet life insurance exists, sure, but it's rarely an offered product and would be a little, of little help to the owners of a famous pet because it's not designed to cover losses related to pets who would double as income generators for their owners. A less popular pet influencer can earn between $3,000 and $15,000 for a sponsored post on social media if they have more than 100,000 followers, according to Lonnie Edwards, a New York City lawyer and founder of a pet influencer agency. However, the grumpy cat had more than six million followers, so uh, I, I bet you can imagine the the amount of money that was coming in from the the marketing of this of this animal. Um, Edwards also says they can't do new campaigns or promote new products. It's similar to what would happen if a human celebrity was killed. You can license their likeness, but in terms of doing new movies and new deals, that ha- that has been closed up. So yeah i mean uh all, all the best to uh tabitha Bunsen, and uh i hope that um that uh her her grief is uh i mean she she lost a a pet i mean yeah it was a famous pet that the internet loved and everything but it was her pet she's the one who who uh who oh, she, i mean it was her pet i don't know how else to put that i don't know how else to put that um but yeah, all in all, rest in peace, Grumpy Cat, and the best of luck to Tabitha Bunsen. Now oh look, Moon is texting me. She says, Hey bitch. Let <laughs> me text her back real quick. Hello. Okay. Um I, I needed that before going into this next uh this next story. I couldn't do an episode without talking about um, this pretty serious topic that's currently affecting the United States. I'm sure most of you have heard about it, and at least some of you are probably outraged by it. Um, I am, of course, talking about the heartbeat bill. Now, for those of you who somehow don't know, the heartbeat bill is a controversial form of abortion restriction legislation which makes abortions illegal as soon as the embryo or fetus's heartbeat can be detected. The first heartbeat bill to pass a state legislature was in North Dakota in 2013, but it was struck down by U.S. District Judge Daniel Hovland, who described the bill as clearly invalid and unconstitutional based on the United States Supreme Court President in Roe v. Wade. However, in 2018 and now in 2019, we have seen the heartbeat bill pop up again and actually being passed by state legislation to go into effect by at least four different states. One of which is Ohio, where I live. Now, just to put it simply, the heartbeat bill makes it illegal to have an abortion after a fetus's heartbeat can be detected at six weeks of pregnancy. Six weeks! Six weeks is so soon into the pregnancy that many women have no idea that they are pregnant at that stage. And it isn't until 12 weeks, in some cases, that... A heartbeat can even be detected by a Doppler fetal monitor. That's the, uh, the, the audio monitor. Uh, you can hear the heartbeat. Six weeks is insanely early. Um, because most women have no idea that they are pregnant six weeks into the pregnancy. Most women don't get an abortion until after six weeks, which of course will now be illegal in the states that passed the bill, making this new law an extremely effective ban on abortion, which is a constitutional right thanks to Roe v. Wade, which established that abortion is legal until the point of viability between 24 and 28 weeks into the pregnancy. Now, for those of you who don't know, the point of viability is the point at which the fetus uh, has a higher chance of survival. Uh, I will go more into that later. Governor B. was quoted in regard to the Arkansas 12-week ban, in short, because it would impose a ban on women's rights to choose an elective, non-therapeutic abortion well before viability. Senate Bill 134 blatantly contradicts the United States Constitution as interpreted by the Supreme Court. When I was sworn in as governor, I took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend both the Arkansas Constitution and the Constitution of the United States. I take that oath seriously. Critics have also pointed out that the term fetal heartbeat bill" is a misnomer because at that stage, the conceptus is still only an embryo and the heart is not yet connected to a circular circulatory system. So yeah, the heart is beating, but it's not doing anything at that point. The, the, the embryo, I mean, I guess it's considered alive just because it has a beating heart, but it's not. It's not connected to anything. It's not doing anything. It's not alive. It's not alive. It's so early into the pregnancy. Now, as I mentioned before, uh, there are four states that already passed the bill, and it will take effect either later this year or early next year. Uh, Those states are Georgia, effective January 1st, 2020. Alabama, effective November 16th of this year. Mississippi, effective July 1st of this year. And now uh, this one, I different sources say different things. Some sources say June 1st, some say July 1st. So, uh, I mean, either way, it's pretty soon. Uh, Ohio, effective either June or July. Uh, Yeah, that is quick. (laughs) We're in May right now. Uh, May 21st as of recording this. The bill is still pending in Missouri and has been uh, introduced in Florida, Maryland, Minnesota, Texas, and West Virginia. There are a few states where the bill was introduced but stricken down by state court indefinitely. um, Or it was uh, indefinitely postponed or struck down by federal court. Uh, These states are Arkansas, Iowa, Kentucky, North Dakota, and Tennessee. This might be a bit extreme to say, but me as a man, I feel like this bill is a, is an attack on women because it's not, I saw a post on Facebook the other day saying that, uh, the bill isn't about controlling women. It's about one person imposing control on another person. I mean, yeah, you're right. But the bill is also about controlling women and giving a fetus, uh, not even a fetus, an embryo, uh, more right to, to exist And putting the woman's needs secondhand. I mean, so far, the only thing, uh, the only exception that I've seen in each one of these bills is that the only way that an abortion can be legal is if it puts the woman in danger. But a, a lot of them are not making exceptions for rape victims or underage girls. And that's actually what I'm going to talk about now. Um Before I end this show, uh this is one more story regarding the heartbeat bill. And it is a very fucked up situation. So I'm warning you now, in case you want to call it a day and just stop listening to this episode, I promise I will not be offended. Um... But yeah, this is in regards to that poor 11-year-old girl who was raped multiple times and left pregnant by a 26-year-old piece of shit. (sighs) So, the girl's mother filed a missing persons report with the police after she found out her daughter left the house without her permission a little after 1am. This 26-year-old asshole and the girl were already a part of an ongoing investigation of sexual assault in which he raped and impregnated the girl. The mother originally informed the police of the pregnancy on April 29th. The police went to the man's house to look for the girl where his roommate answered the door and allowed police into their home. They found the girl inside a closet in an upstairs bedroom. This bastard was arrested on May 1st in Massillon, about 45 minutes away from where I live. Um, He was charged with rape and obstructing official justice. Yeah. Um, that's the background of what happened. Um, and as if that wasn't bad enough already, um, now this girl's being forced to carry her rapist's baby. And she's being forced to give birth thanks to the new anti abortion bill which just passed here in Ohio. Now, not only is this law invasive, it, it, it's controlling and unconstitutional but it makes no exceptions even for underage rape victims. In an email to CBS News on May 9th, the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost defended the statute saying, sometimes the evolution of the law requires bold steps. He added, in the last 46 years, the practice of medicine has changed. Science has changed. Even the point of viability has changed. Only the law has lagged behind. Now, that statement rang in my head so I did some research on my own. Um, Based on the research that I have done on fetal viability, the fetus's chance of survival dramatically increases at 24 weeks of gestation which already invalidates Yo's statement about the point of viability changing. Here is what I found. At less than 21 weeks, the fetus has 0% chance of survivability. 22 weeks, fetus has between 0% and 3%. At 23 weeks, 0 to 5 percent. Uh, at 24 weeks is where the jump comes. Uh, it has a 40 percent to 70 percent ch- chance of survivability. At 25 weeks, 50 to 80 percent. 26 weeks, 80 to 90 percent. 27 weeks, greater than 90 percent. And 30 weeks, greater than 95 percent. It is widely accepted and backed by the same science that Yoast is trying to use against us that at 24 weeks of gestation, the fetus has a pretty good chance of survival compared to even at 23 weeks with its 0-5% chance. Which is why Roe v. Wade established that the abortion cutoff point be 24-28 to weeks when the baby is more likely to survive. Um, yeah, I just fact check these motherfuckers. <laughs> anyway, back to the story... This is still a developing story, and I'm still not sure what's going to happen with this young girl. But this new bill affects other girls and women who are in similar situations. So, um, in 2017, more than 4,000 women in Ohio alone were raped, according to data compiled by the FBI. That's just in Ohio. Of those, more than 800 victims were assaulted by a family member. In the future, if women became pregnant as a result of such crimes, Ohio's so-called fetal heartbeat bill will prohibit them from receiving an abortion any after about six weeks, which is before most women even know they're pregnant. That is fucked up. It's so fucked up, especially considering that case after case after case. I mean... We have so many cases in just the past couple of years. The one that stands out in my head is of this asshole who got this girl drunk and he was raping her behind a garbage can by some bar or something. Uh, this college student. And, um, and he pretty much got off scot-free. He was literally raping someone. He got caught with his pants around his ankles. He got seen by two other boys. And and Nothing. He I think he got like some probation like 30 days jail time which even his lawyer was trying to say that is too much too harsh of a punishment because he's not used to such uh cruel punishment cuz he's a rich boy or whatever. It's such an unfair it's 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 so fucking unfair. It really is. And I I can't believe that this is even a uh, on facebook the other day i had to actually shut it off because i was getting pissed off but there was there was a lawyer i'm not sure if it was yoast or or who it was but there was a lawyer saying that uh, oh most rapes in uh, in the united states are actually consensual listen to your fucking self you're saying that rape is consensual in what world does that shit make sense rape is never consensual It's rape. (laughs) Um, There was some report saying um, about this, this report on the pregnant 11 year old girl that, um, oh, uh, someone was saying that it's her fault because uh, she doesn't listen. She, she, um, she's a reckless kid. She doesn't listen to her mother. She was going out with this 26 year old man. So uh, like it was, it was a consensual thing. No, that is statutory rape. The girl is 11 years old. She cannot consent. I hope you see why I wanted to save this for uh, the last story. I knew I wasn't going to be able to come back from this. I'm fucking fuming right now. Um, all right. Well, those of you who know me know that I am a I'm a moderate, you know, I'm I'm somewhat of a libertarian. And as such, I do believe in small government and that the states should decide on what they want to do in their own legislations. However, when bills that are so preposterous, bills that are so demeaning, uh, that that they are so controlling and that they are so unconstitutional like this fucking bill are being passed by the states, I think that the federal government and the federal court, the, the, the Supreme Uh, court the federal justice system doesn't only have the ability but has the obligation to step in we now have a majority republican supreme court and with brett kavanaugh being the the last asshole to uh to hold a seat we're just going to have to see what happens because you can bet your ass that this is going to go to the supreme court we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens but this this is why voting in 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 your local elections is so important people cuz you're putting these people in office it is i was going to say arguably but not even arguably it is way more important to vote uh local elections to vote for for your local city uh council and lo- vote for your state council your state senators than it is to vote for the president. I know the president is a big show. Uh, Donald fucking Trump is up there making a fool out of himself every damn day. That's okay. Let him do whatever the fuck he wants. But these people that are sitting in in Senate and that are sitting in in council, in your city councils, they are the ones who are going to be affecting your day-to-day life. And it is so important for you to go out and vote. Anyway, that's the show um if you like uh this sort of stuff please let me know and uh i can uh i can keep doing it uh don't worry like i said chris will be back we'll go back to our regular shows i have some stories that i actually wanted to talk about but um i like some more funny stories but uh this was more important i thought might save those for next week or i don't know we'll see anyway if if you would enjoy the show I would really appreciate it if you told your friends and family about it and uh, you know just sit their asses down make them listen uh, it, it means a lot to me so many of you that listen and comment after every episode uh, I remember when it was just one person that would comment that, that would send me uh, personal messages after every episode and now <clears throat> now there are quite a few of you and that it, it warms my heart it it, uh, it makes me happy to know that people are listening and think that uh <laughs> think that you know what i have to say is worth listening to it it feels really good um but yeah if you enjoy the show post it on your story um tell us let us know that you are listening i'll send you a heart from the bottom of my heart but this has been the show sorry again for uh being so uh, yeah This has been the Bellino's Podcast. I am Bear Paw. Talk to you next time. Bye.